So the reason why, and I get to, I get to close, be the concluder, concluding expression of the psalm series, and I'm so grateful for it. I had a chance to really think long and hard about the uh, 84th psalm and what it meant and why I thought it would be helpful for us. You can you notice in your handout there if you have one or you maybe have your Bible with you or you've got a Bible app, you can follow along. But in Psalm 84 is where our focus is going to be. And one of the reasons I wanted to share it was because it was and is to me what I call a life psalm. Um, and what I mean by that is it's one of those psalms, and there's 150 of the psalms. So they all have different ways of, of being expressed, but a lot of them have to do with things that are very gritty and real. Their prayers, their aspirations, and many of them are very applicable to our real life. Even though they were written thousands of years ago, they have so much power in them. The Word of God is very alive. And whether we're young or old, there are things that we're going to be able, I hope, to glean from this, whether we're at a point in our life where we're doing well and things are going smoothly, we feel somewhat at peace, or whether we're at a place where we're actually really struggling. And struggle can be a very personal issue. Oftentimes, someone can look very composed and be going through a high degree of inner turmoil. Oftentimes, we may look like we're, not, we're very courageous and we're very afraid of something. The truth is that God's Word has a lot to, to really hit us with in a good way, I mean in a positive way, to really help us. And if we're open to it, it can be life-giving. And there's, Because a lot of this has to do with negotiating through adversity. And so what we're going to talk about is how we can not only, as we start at the beginning of the year, I wanted to bring the last psalm into bear because I feel that it also teaches us how to take adversity or hard things and really see them as an opportunity for God to do something remarkable in our lives. So with that in mind, oh, and then one more thing that I think was kind of, it was very, at least it was interesting for me, is that this is a psalm, the 84th psalm, that actually directly refers to autumn. It talks about the season of fall. And specifically, which is helpful because we're, we're, this series is the last of the summer series as we head into the fall, it talks about the autumn rains. Now, in the, in the area of Israel, in the time of the Bible, still today, the, what was often called the early rains and the latter rains, because they, were, they had an effect on the people. They were predominantly agricultural people, uh, depended a lot on crops. Early rains meant something, latter rains meant something. But in contrast to what we might think, the early rains were the rains that were associated with the months of late October and November. The latter rains were often connected to the springtime. So it's a little different than our, what, what we might think of. Having said that, you'll see this come up in the psalm. The psalm itself bears a lot of similarities to Psalm 42. I shared on that earlier in the, in the summer. And whoever the writer was, and many people think it was David, who submitted this to the worship leaders who were known as the sons of Korah, it's clear that what, whoever it was, and there's not 100% clarity on it, but we think it, was, it could have been David, um, it was something that was initiated out of a, a sense of, of deprivation. So the reason for the psalmist sharing it is because he feels deprived of something that was very meaningful to him. He experienced a loss, something that he missed. And loss is powerful. If we've ever had a loss of something that was very important to us, a person who meant something to us, uh, it could be a series of losses that hit us. 
uh, those things, if, they're, if they come sometimes in succession, can be devastating. Just a singular loss can, can be difficult to work through. In David's case, he felt the sting of loss, again, or whoever the psalmist was who wrote this, whether it was because of, in, in his situation, he had, either he was forced or he was in exile or he had to run for his life or he was sick, whatever the reason was, he felt deprived, in his case, of being able to go to Jerusalem and to worship in the sanctuary. So for him, the feeling was that he was disconnected from something that had great meaning to him. And the feeling of not being able to do it is what sort of propels this entire psalm. It's part of what is making him feel so challenged and he dearly, something he dearly misses. And he has to wrestle with the reality that he can't, he can't get to the place he wants to be. Now, at the outset then, I want to pose a couple of, of just questions that I'm hoping will sort of create a foundation for us. Because a lot of us can relate to the feeling of being deprived of something that has meaning to us. We wonder perhaps if something that we've lost will ever be restored. Will, is this wound that I've received will ever heal up? Um, can my joy return in full? I mean, so if that's the case, here's a question or two that I wanna just put out there at the beginning. How do we endure hard seasons, okay? How do we, how do we move through them? How do we negotiate them? Seasons of sadness that hit us in life, Maybe it's a season of loneliness. Maybe it's a season, as I alluded to, of loss, or we've been losing things that are meaningful to us, or we face the loss, and that scares us. Maybe it has to do with season of struggle. Maybe some of us are struggling deeply, and this is a season of tremendous upheaval in our lives where it's, it's become a real struggle for us to, to try to get through something that we're dealing with. And we find ourselves in tremendous uh, emotional fluctuation around it. It's become hard. Whatever season we're in, how do we get through this? How do we move through it? So it's going to have a practical component to it, right? The other thing around it is how do we stay hopeful when, and not lose our way as we make our way forward to the place the Lord wants us to be? How, how, do, how do I keep a good attitude? How do I stay in a positive place? How do I keep from becoming really depressed or discouraged or beaten down or defined attitudinally by it? Another thing to think about is how do we adapt to new realities that, that are something we are just real to us and we have to position ourselves for the blessing that God wants to bring. How do I do that? How do I do that? One has ad ad adapting to a reality, a new reality that we maybe don't even want, right? So how do I do So uh, when we have to adapt to that reality, you know, how do we adapt to that reality? Not fight it, because there's some things, we can fight it all we want. It's not changing. We will have to adapt. But how can we adapt in a way that really creates a pathway for God to bless our lives? That's what we're going to get at here. That's kind of where we're going. You know, one of the things I've learned living and um, following Jesus now for, I don't know, it's, it's hard for me to believe this, but it's been, about, it's been about 40 years now since when I was a teenager and really committed my life to Jesus right at the beginning of high school. And uh, in that period, it's almost, it is almost exactly 40 years, and it was in this place that it happened. And I can still remember the day vividly when I made a decision that I didn't just want to passively kind of be connected to the faith of my, in my case, it was my, my mother and my grandparents, the, the church that I had grown up in. 
but I truly, sincerely wanted to follow Jesus, and I felt his presence at work in my life. Now, those 40 years, really, that began a 40-year journey for me that's got me to this place. And as I'm thinking about it, I remind myself that, you know what, anyone who's serious about it is, and I've learned this firsthand, is that we're all going to have, listen, I know some of you are younger, but we're all going to have, you may, but you may have already had a couple, but we're all going to have rough chapters in life. And rare indeed is a long season, listen to me, without any trouble or challenge. How can I say it? Maybe a movie title. Well, maybe not. There will be trouble, all right? There will be trouble. And it's, it's something, here's the thing. Jesus told us so. Look at John 16, 33. Check this out. This is what he said. He said, these things I've spoken to you. Look at this that you may have peace. I've given you my words so that you might have peace. Some of us are struggling with peace in our minds right now. We're fighting things. We fluctuate. These things I have spoken to you that you may, in me you may have peace. Now listen, in the world you will have, Jesus said, tribulation. That is our ways. In the world you will have troubles but I need you to not be defined by them. Instead, let the joy reign over your life. Cheer. Let cheer fill you. Why? Because, why? Because, all, because I'm taking all your troubles away? No. Because I have overcome the world. And I am with you. And if you are with me, there's nothing that we cannot face that I cannot bring good from and help you through. I can give you peace in anything, but it's not denying that there are not going to be, there's a lot of, double negatives there. It's not denying that there will be trouble in our lives because we're going to have it. Jesus said it. That's real life. That's real life. He want, but he wants for us to be peace. Now listen, there's going to be different kinds of trial, different kinds of difficulty that's going to come. I look at it and I go, there's external trouble. We know it. It's real. It's out there. I mean, how you gotta, you got to like hide your head in the sand not to, not to see some of the stuff that's going on. It seems like every week we've got something going on, just even at a, na not only a national level, but at a global level. I mean, right now, you know, we're coming off another round of terrorism in London. We've got, we've got, we're on the, we've got we're brinkmanship right now going on. We've got potential nuclear warheads being launched. In North Korea, we've got tensions there. Asia's in turmoil around this. I mean, the Middle East is always a powder keg waiting to explode. I mean, we can go walk down. It's just always there. So much so, but we're disconnected a little bit. But it's real. It's out there. It's trouble. Then we've got trouble in the country. Everybody seems so angry. I can't help but notice it all the time. Divided, angry, upset, taking sides. Gotta have a side. You know, it's just a lot of stuff. And then that, and some of us might go, oh, well, yeah, that's, that's real trouble. But I got stuff inside of me that it's going on that honestly, I don't have time to even think about the other stuff that's going on outside. So our trouble could be things that we're struggling with, addictions, patterns, things that have been a part of our life passed down to us generationally that we don't even want them in our lives. Stuff that we got into, now we can't get out of it stuff that makes us feel disconnected from what we believe. There's so much internal dissonance inside of us because we feel the tension between what we want to be and what we're actually doing. These places, trouble, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. 
external, internal. Maybe we're battling something that's hard for us, a health issue. You can have, some of us are in relational challenge right now. It could be vocational on our job. External, internal, relational, vocational. In this world, but, you, but listen, I want to teach you how to prevail. That's what the Lord said. How to do that. How to do that. Now, over the years, again, I, I've, I've talked to many people, fellow travelers in, of faith, listened to their stories, the stories of their lives, stories of struggle, stories of survival, known it myself. But again, in this psalm, the feeling, the preeminent feeling of, is, is someone who is feeling deprived. The psalmist is feeling deprived. It's connected to wanting to return to the sanctuary of the Lord in the memory of going to the Lord's house. We would say he wants to go to church, and he can't. Okay, that's the start up with verse 1, and then we'll kind of make our way through it. Here we go. Look how he says it. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. I long, oh, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, my body, and my soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. <laughs> there, by the way, there is something about coming to the Lord's house, about pulling away to be present with the Lord. Present, yes, even with others who love his name. There's something different about that. I cannot tell you how many times I have heard over the years people tell me, I know, we, you know we've got now the, the two campuses and there's others who are online, I get that, but here I'm mostly at the Mission Campus. Over the years, I've heard so many people, more than I can count for sure, um, on two hands, no question, <laughs> who, who've said coming through those doors was like, was like coming home. And, it, and I, I watched, it just felt, I felt like this is where I was, I was like, I was home, right? And sometimes they came very fearfully into the Lord's house. Some of them hadn't been in a church in years. Some of them had been injured in some other place, uh, been, been really damaged by certain things. But yet inside, a yearning to reconnect with God in a way that was something that they knew and felt and, and would bring them closer to Jesus. And, and so I, I've, I've, I've watched people a lot of times, even though I, most of the time I have lights in my eyes and I can't see everything as clearly as you might think. What, what, what I do, what I can see sometimes is I'll, every now and then I'll see someone in the middle of, 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 a, of a message or a time of worship. They walk through. There may be someone even by themselves. And I'll just, I, see, I see the tears flow. Like I can't, and, and a lot of times I'll ask them, what happened? So like I felt like I was coming home. And some people run away from God because of bad stuff that they experienced his name. They come to San Francisco, and lo and behold, <laughs> they come home to Jesus. And I, I've seen it a lot that we get to be part, part of the reason our church, part of the reason our church exists is to be part of the expression of grace in the city for Jesus. And part of that joy is that we get to see Sometimes prodigals or people who've been disconnected from the Lord come home in a safe way, but that is serious and loving and committed to Jesus. You, you run away from God and find him in San Francisco. How cool is that? <laughs> the psalmist says, look what he says. Again, he feels homeless a little bit. He's missing it. He says, even the sparrow finds a home, 
In his mind's eye, he's drifting back to the times when he saw the birds with their little nests in the sanctuary flying to and fro, right, with feeding their young, moving, darting about. He thinks of the birds. He says, even if the sparrow finds a home and the swallow builds her nest and raises her young at a place near your altar. Oh, Lord of heaven's armies, my king and my God. You know, there are some things we take for granted. You know, and, until we realize we can't do them anymore. In his case, he, he's can't go, he can't go to the Lord's house in Jerusalem. That's where he wants to be. Can't do it. Misses it. You know, for me personally, I, and I, I know I've shared a few times around this, but two years ago, and I don't know everyone would necessarily even know this, and I'm making a presumption that it, it, would, it would even matter. However, in 2015, some of you are aware that I had to, for the first time in the, the 30 years that I've been serving here in ministry, I had to, um, I, I had to take a, a sabbatical. It was a medical sabbatical. I was getting vocal surgery, but also my nerves. I was pretty stretched out, and that was like a tipping point as well. It was just, it wasn't a great time. I remember what happened, though, because the, we, we had a meeting set up with our board of directors, and um, uh, some of our executive team on staff, pastoral staff, and then um, probably uh, the most powerful person and CEO of my life, uh, my wife. I'm just kidding, but she was, there, she was there as well. She was there as well. So the group of them were there. And we, they called, we started talking, and they said, look, we want you to go on a sabbatical. I said, well... You know, so we, want, we want you to go on. We want you to take a long time. We want you to heal up completely. And we don't want you to have to talk. Just, you know, we just want your body to rest. We want you to take five to six months. I said, well, I don't know if I need five to six months. I said, no, we want you to. And they said, we don't want you to actually go to church here. I said, really? Yes, stay away. To stay away. Yeah, we need you to stay away. So, I, I, you know, when we go out of state, it was fine. We had family. We, I just visited other churches. It was a good experience. But a couple months into it, I started feeling like, you know, I'm, I'm, I miss. There was one weekend in particular that stood, one Sunday actually, that stood out to me. I remember it vividly. I, part of the reason I remember it is because. I was starting to feel better, but I was still in this agreement that I had to not come to church because I was not supposed to be interacting a lot and talking. Just not. So they wanted me to rest. So I, I remember, though, the family. I had a couple of, a couple of the, my, my adult children were living at home at the time with us and, and my wife. I remember them all going around the same time shooting out to serve at, at the different campuses. So uh, two of them came here to the Mission Campus. My oldest son shot over to, the, to um, he was already at the Lake Merced campus, and um, my wife came here as well. And I remember watching them all getting ready to go and serve the Lord in the Lord's house. And I was like, you know, this is what I do. And it was like, well, you can't come, you know? And it was like, what? <laughs> yeah, you just stay here. But you have live stream? I said, but it... Sorry. It's, it's not the same. It's not the same. And so, so what happens is, I, I'm, but I said, okay, I'll watch. so I'm watching it. And I'm watching it. And then, you know, before I had watched it, and I remember, you know, the message is pretty good. I can, I can listen to a message that's from a live stream, even a replay, and I feel fine. Like, I got a good part of the work. But the part that didn't translate for me was worship. 
because really, no matter how much I tried, it felt very different to me. Worship felt different because you know why? I wasn't with people in the Lord's house. It was different. And there was something about it as I was watching, and just in light of my circumstances, which probably isn't necessarily relatable to a lot of people, but it actually was pretty relatable to Psalm 84. I found all of a sudden I was listening and watching, and all of a sudden I could, had a hard time singing. Um, and then I remember, I remember all of a sudden I had a, I, I had a tear start going down my cheek, and it wasn't because the Lord had touched me, right? <laughs> it was because I felt like I was being left out. I felt sorry for myself. Like, I want to be in the Lord's house with the people, the place I know, the people I love. I want to worship the Lord there, and I couldn't. So I understood that feeling. I remember how good it felt two months later when I got to return, and one of the things I got to do was lead the Thanksgiving morning service, which for some of you, you don't necessarily know this, nor should you, but we have this been for now for almost 20 years. We do the uh, Thanksgiving morning service for those who are here and able to come, and we do it for one hour to start that Thanksgiving morning by saying thank you to Jesus, and we, we share communion, and we just... We just Thank the Lord for his goodness. And it was one of the first services I got to lead when I came back. And it, it felt like, yes, this is where, this is what I'm talking about, right? So you go, uh, go back here, look at verse four. Now you can totally understand what he says. What joy for, look at, he starts thinking, he goes, what joy for those who can live in your house. Ah, oh, man, they always singing your praises. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Now we read that and when they walk through the valley of weeping. Now we read that and we go, oh, what is he talking about? What's he talking about? Well, he's actually in his mind's eye, he switches. So first off, he starts by saying, how joyful they are to be able to worship in your house, Lord. I want to do that too. Just like the, the bird that finds a home in near your house, that's where I want to be with the people who are worshiping you. And he says, how blessed are those who are able to travel and make their way and journey to the city of David, to Jerusalem, who make their pilgrimage, who make that journey together, rejoicing on their way. He starts thinking about how what would happen during the great feast of Israel. People would begin many times, families would start to make their way to Jerusalem. And they would have this kind of like caravan of people who would be making their way to Jerusalem, this pilgrimage. And along the way, they would rejoice. And he says, and I remember now, look what he says in verse 6, when they walked through the Valley of Weeping, which was a literal section of the journey known in the Hebrew as the Valley of Baca. And he says, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains, there it is, will clothe it with blessings. Now look how the older version says it. Psalm 84, it says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage, as they pass through, there it is, the valley of Baca. You see that? That's the valley of, of weeping and lamentation of sadness. It seems to refer to a particular part of the journey to Jerusalem that was difficult. And in the summer, very difficult. That it was, it was it, at certain times of the year, it was dry and arid and hard and inhospitable. It was the part of the journey no one looked forward to. But he said, when you're inspired by a chance to do what they're doing, you even go through that place that no one wants to go through. And he starts saying how in his mind's eye, he remembers, he goes, and they just kept worshiping you all the way through the Badlands. And they took that bad place and they just turned it into a place of joy and refreshing. He says, not unlike what would literally happen to the dry valley of Baca when the early autumn rains fell 
and filled it with pools of water and covered the summer parched land with grass and flowers and brought refreshment to the thirsty pilgrims along the way. So all of a sudden, when the rains started falling, the early rains, that dry land would have like pockets where there would be certain cisterns naturally sort of hewed out of the, out of the, you know, the rock where the water would gather and they would become like little pools of refreshing cisterns of water, refreshing them. So he's got all these imagery going on in his mind. Look what he says. They will, verse 7, they will continue to grow stronger and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. Yeah, they just keep on going. The older version says they go from strength to strength. That is, instead of being beaten down and quitting, they gain strength along the way until they arrive at their destination where the presence of God is experienced and celebrated. And the final four verses there. O Lord God of heaven's armies, would you hear my prayer? Listen, O God of Jacob. O God, look with favor upon the king. Our shield, show favor to the one you've anointed, most likely David. And then a great verse. A single day in your course is better than a thousand anywhere else. And then he pushes it out. In fact, I would rather be a gatekeeper, an usher, a greeter, parking attendant. <laughs> I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord. Look at that. In the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. Whoa. For the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives grace to the end glory. For the Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. Oh, Lord of heaven's armies, what joy for those who trust in you. So we note a couple of things here. And here's the part I would like us to wrestle with just in the minutes that we have left. As we're sharing, and I've got one particular thing that really motivated me at the core in this message. But one of the things I want us to be aware of is the value for us to consider the value of a godly aspiration or the value of something that we are moving towards that honors the Lord. Look at verse 5 again. It says, What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. That's the idea of your, having your mind set on something, right? A path, a highway, a journey with a destination. Anyone who follows Jesus, now listen to me, is on a, a journey to an ultimate destination. Anyone who's following Jesus actually is making a pilgrimage to a Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. Jesus said, there is more to this life than just this life. He told his disciples, I think at one key point in his ministry, he says, look at me. Things are going to happen. It's going to get real bad. Let not your hearts be shaken and troubled. You believe in God, you need to believe in me. I'm telling you right now, in my Father's house are many dwelling places, and if it were not so, I would tell you this right now. I am not making it up. I'm not trying to create a pipe dream. There's no interest in it. If this was all there is, I'd tell you right now, but I tell you, there is more to come. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, and I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there, you may be also. When we follow him, we, mind, we must remind ourselves that we are heading somewhere. And, and yet, between now and then, no matter where we are in life, it's important to have an aspiration. In Christ, it is utterly essential. It's important in life to have one. It's absolutely essential in Jesus to have one. 
what I'm trying to get at is this. One of the keys to staying young at heart at a spiritual level. Now listen, we can be young in body and spiritually ill inside. We can be old in bo- older in body and spiritually vital inside. Now the, they're not exclusion. They, you can be both. And if I had my choice, I'd go young in body, young in spirit, but it doesn't always work that way. But we need to be moving towards something. Rarely can we call out our best meandering, taking it easy. Listen to me. When we spiritually take things easy and don't apply ourselves, we really are going to have a hard time living a vital life with God. There is a time for that. I get it. And I understand not all who wander are lost. I get that. I get that. And yet, at the same time, you have to have a goal. Um, Every season, spiritually speaking, needs a ministry north star. You need to have some, we need to have something that is compelling us to pursue growth in our lives with God. And it's usually connected to serving people in some way, shape, or form in his name. And that's why a lot of what community does is it creates opportunities and pockets to have north stars at season, because we're not made to just take in. It's like spiritually, we're like our bodies. We have to exercise. If it's just intake, 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 we will not be healthy. Okay? So I look at this and I go, wow. But here's the thing. It leads me to the second piece, which is this. And this is the one. Honestly, this is the reason why I even wanted to preach this message and share this word. It's because of what we're about to look at right here. It's this part. Choose not to be intimidated by the valleys of weeping but instead embrace the transformation he longs to bring. You go back to that sixth verse, when they walk through the valley of weeping, those valleys of Baca, it will be a place, he says, in the midst of that difficult place, it will be a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe, clothe it with blessings. Now, when I was a younger, I would, we had a young family. We, would, we didn't have a, a huge, we didn't have a big budget. So we had four kids and we tried to be very creative with what we did. And so we would go, build a lot of our family vacations were built around national parks. And so we would do that. And um, I, over, over the years, have seen a lot of the national parks in our beautiful, beautiful places of land um, that have been preserved. What a gift they are to our nation and our heritage. What a blessing. Um, I say that truly because I've seen some amazingly beautiful things. A lot of times people will ask me, well, what are your, some of your favorite national parks? And of course, you know, I'm very attached to Yosemite because it's right in our backyard. I love it. Um, there are other national parks that stand out to me, but, but one of the ones that, oft, that I often refer to, if I say, hey, tell me your, like, some of your, your best ones, I'll say, well, here's a couple. That, and here are two that are often underappreciated, and I'm only going to tell you one of the two. Um, it's the one, well, okay, I'll tell you both of them, but I'm only going to talk about one of the two. <laughs> one of them is, is one of the underrated ones, and only, only 12 o'clock gets, got this, so is, is the Badlands, which I just absolutely loved because of the hues and the colors and, the, and just the way, it, the experience of it was haunting. The other one is one that's not actually far from here. Often thought, not thought of as a, as a wonderful place to visit, but an amazing place. It's Death Valley. 
Death Valley is a stunning place. Now, again, it's one of the hottest and most arid places on the North American continent. Certain times of the year, it looks like this. It, you can see the beauty, the colors, and yet the ground is, looks so dry and dead. You talk about inhospitable. One of the things about Death Valley, though, people don't often realize, it's got many different types of natural expressions. They think, oh, that's all it is. Actually, it's not true. One of the other kind of really cool things about Death Valley is it has, it has sand dunes. And if you've never, it really, it's not that far to get to them either. And you get there and you can go to the visitors. I mean, you can, I walked along, see those people walking along the ridges. I walked along those ridges. Fantastic experience. But here's the thing about Death Valley. I was in the news last year. Because in 2016, Death Valley had something happen to it that only happens usually around every 10 years. It had what was known as a super bloom. And the super bloom occurred in a remarkable way. It didn't usually ha it doesn't usually happen. Again, like I say, it takes a it started because in the year of 2015, they had a series of rainstorms, three of them to be exact, if I'm not mistaken. And those rainstorms on that parched ground, what people didn't know, or what many of us wouldn't have known was that deep within that parched ground, dormant way down below, were all these seeds of flowers waiting to come to life. But they were down deep. And it required a succession of rainstorms and then the right combination of warmth to create an environment where it opened up like a bouquet. And one of the things you'll, you're going to see, in my mind, is a picture that I almost think isn't even real. It's so remarkably beautiful. And here it is. Look at that. It is stunning. It almost looks fake. I mean, it's like, are you serious? Look at those colors. Death Valley super bloom. Now I'm looking at that and I'm going, whoa, whoa. I see that and I say, wow, that harsh desert floor literally sprung to life. And so, can you hear me? God would work in us in the same dry, hostile, arid place. It, listen, into the valley of Baca, if you will. The valley of weeping and sadness, whatever we want to call it, right? He can literally cause, if I can put it this way, put that picture up one more time. One last time, we have time. Just put it up there. He can literally cause inside of us, listen to this, a spiritual super bloom. A spiritual super bloom. But here's the principle. Now we'll flip to the principle. It, listen, it only can happen, look at this. It has to be the right combination of adversity and refreshing. Check that out to make a spiritual super bloom possible. It can't just, like, this is me. It can't just happen on okay times or, meh, it's been a tough period. No, no. It only can happen like when it's dry and hard and the right thing hits and all of a sudden 
the right combination of the rain. I call grace like rain, rain like grace. It falls and the sun hits and the warmth comes at the right place in our life. Man, this can only happen actually probably in my mind. It happens about every 10 to 20 years in a life where something so remarkable occurs at a spiritual level in our lives that it is transformative. That we go into the valley of Baca and we literally watch it. It is refreshed and turned into a spiritual super bloom. And you know one of the things that I was reminded of? I can't get it. That cannot happen anywhere other than in the very, very, very difficult place. It's when the grace of God is allowed to combine with my willingness that certain things come out of that that would not have been even possible in a different kind of situation. It can only occur if the right combination is there. And a lot of times it's in that very place where God's saying, this is your time for a spiritual super bloom in your life. On that ground, yes, right there. And when we come out of that, it's like transformative. There, we're a different, we, we have different aspects of us that weren't, we go, where was, it's underneath. Someone said that picture when they saw it, they said a Saturday night, they said, you know what that picture reminded me of? I said, what? They said, pure joy. Mm-hmm. And then another person said to me, actually, was, I think it was my bit, he said, the seeds were there. They were the seeds the Holy Spirit planted. I said, oh, that's good. You're wrestling. You're good, good. You're wrestling with this. I like it. Here's the thing. The Lord calls us to these places. Quick, real quick here. Uh, Another thing to remember is that God wants to move us from strength to strength. That is to help us grow. Look what he says in that seventh verse. They will continue to grow stronger. Each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem, right? Though my outer man is perishing, yet my inward one is renewed day by day. This is one thing I've come to the conclusion of. My outer tent. This cannot, it cannot sustain the dreams of my inner true self. It can't. It can't sustain it. This body cannot sustain the dreams within me that were planted there by a God who loves me. I, I, there's a part of us that was made for a creator God. We can search everywhere. We can cut him off. We can deny his existence. We can act like he's not there. But we're going to worship something in this life. Everyone will. Because human beings worship things. And they may say, I believe in no God. But they worship It's just, what do you worship? I was made, you were made for something this body cannot contain. Not in its present form. There's a dream and a yearning and a longing for a certain type of home. It cannot be sustained. But between now and then, I'm called to grow. I'm invited into growth. You know how that growth best occurs? And this is the last thing I'll leave with this. It occurs by what the psalmist closed with, by us leaning into the promises that he's given to us. When we lean into the promise, what was that promise? No good thing will I withhold, right? Look at that. No good thing will I withhold from those who do what is right in my eyes. Not in the eyes of prevailing culture, which is, can change with each generation. It changes. But on the, the solid ground of what the Lord's word teaches us, no good thing will I withhold. Now listen, what that is saying is this. Remember, Jesus didn't say, no troubles. What he said is, my goodness will prevail. In this life or the next, it will prevail. Walk in it. 
And never forget that it is possible that the hardest places can actually be the places of spiritual super bloom. We get changed for the better. <clears throat> All right. Lord, we want to welcome your goodness and grace even now. We thank you for your words of life. Thank you for your promises. Thank you, Lord, even now as we have our time of giving. I thank you for all the faithfulness that is even in this church community of those who give so faithfully and honor you, even in their tithes and offerings, Lord, in their service, the beautiful ways they express their love for you so we can even do what we're trying to do for you, be part of an expression of grace in this amazing city that needs to see you. And we ask that you would also continue to do, I ask you to do a super bloom in our church, Lord. <laughs> Why not? Let it be, Jesus. Let it be in each of our lives. Let's remember the beauty that you can bring if we're open. We might, not, we might not get there all at once, but who can say what is about to happen? Just stay close to you, Jesus. Ask for your blessing over this closing song, this closing time of giving. Let's just, let's just finish this well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.